Welcome to another very special episode of Let Me Explain You a Thing. My name is Andrew, and this is the podcast where I talk extemporaneously on a subject I know a decent amount about, usually on my drive to work, which is the case today, so apologies for road noise. Today, I thought I would continue a series I had begun uh, some time ago, I think in the fall, on... Uh, memories of previous generations of Pokemon. So, the first episode I did on this, I talked about Pokemon Gen 1. That kind of had, just by its nature, I had a lot to say on, like, the the kind of fandom that surrounded Pokemon uh, when it initially hit the U.S. So, you know, thinking, like, 1997, 98... Uh, around there. That was when the initial Pokemania was. Um, This time, we're probably not going to get into as much the multimedia aspect of Pokemon. I, you know, like, there were some movies, the anime had continued, and, you know, was still popular. I think we were still kind of in the throes of Pokemania. Um, oh, no, you know what? I did talk about Gen 2. (laughs) Okay, I'm kidding then. Uh, So let's talk about Gen 3. Yeah, I I believe I had covered Gen 1 and 2 together. Um, This time we're definitely not really going to be talking about Pokemania any longer. I know there were movies made for Pokemon at this point. Like, okay, the Gen 2 movies, there was the one with Entei that wasn't really about Entei, it was more about the unknown. Um, A very mysterious and interesting Pokemon, but, like, kind of flat, to be honest. Unknown. Um, Interesting in that they come in every letter of the alphabet. Uh, Kind of flat and dull in that they... That is their whole thing. Uh, Their other gimmick is that they... (laughs) uh, They only know the move Hidden Power, which is a very weak move that uses uh, a different type for each Pokemon, and it's based on that Pokemon's unique genes. This is not something that you can change in-game. It's just an inborn attribute of that Pokemon. Uh, And that's the only move they know. It's kind of like, like the Ditto of Gen 2 just like a weird gimmick Pokemon. Anyway, but we're not talking about that. Uh, yeah, Gen 2 had some movies. The the one with the legendary birds and Lugia, I believe that was the, the very second Pokemon movie they made, Pokemon the Movie 2000. Um, so I, I don't really remember what they were doing for Gen 3. At this point, I was pretty solidly out of the anime. Um, you know, which is funny to think about, because, like, Gen 1 officially launched in Japan in, like, what, 95, 96? Hit the U.S. 97, 98, somewhere around there. Gen 2 released in 90, like, 
end of 99, maybe. Um, Gen 3 released in the U.S., and I believe at this point, like, the, the Japanese got it a little earlier than other regions, but... Uh, I believe at this point it was now pretty firmly an international phenomenon and they were, you know, considering launch dates pretty close. It wasn't like, oh, this is huge in Japan. We could probably make money on this in the U.S. Yes, you can. We know this by now. Um, you can definitely make money on this in the U.S. and Europe and, you know, the PAL region, whatever. Um, anyway, so... So Gen 3 hits in, I want to say, 2003, uh, which is not a huge, I guess, looking back at, at the previous decade, the teens, um, you had Gen 5 in 2010, Gen 6, like, 2013. So I guess, yeah, three years, that's, that's pretty much par for release schedule. Um, and just as with, like, Gen 9 we're on now. That came out end of 2022. Pokemon Sword and Shield Gen 8 that was like 2019. Okay, so I guess it all lines up. Yeah. Um, Sword and Shield had DLC that also dropped in like 2021. Uh, were there two rounds of DLC? I believe so. I like that DLC. Um, I still play that game sometimes. Um, and that's probably, like, I did not get into Gen 9. Uh, just, like, the bugs and, like, the... Every... So, okay. Every Pokemon... And this... All right. Okay. <laughs> all right. Hold up, Andrew. I I do want to comment on Pal World a little bit. I have not... I All I really know about Pal World is the buzz around it. I know it's, like, Pokemon with guns or whatever... I know a lot of the designs are, like, pretty blatant rip-offs of Pokemon, and that's, you know, just how it is. Possibly they used AI in assembling some of the designs. Who knows? Um, I know it's controversial. I know Nintendo or the Pokemon company is considering suing. Um, I think, ultimately, who knows? I don't have a terribly informed opinion, but I could see this being, you know, a net positive for the franchise. Because what's really interesting about Pokemon is they have not really attempted to grow the franchise beyond... Like, you think about anything that was a huge phenomenon um, uh, that had its time. Like, let's take Harry Potter, for instance. Um, Harry Potter absolutely giant phenomenon in the 2000s. Huge media empire. Um, you know, Pokemon bigger internationally, like globally. Uh, but, you know, Harry Potter, like, just, just giant. And if you were around, if you were a kid, especially in the 2000s, you will remember that. Even if you had no real interest, it was hard to avoid. Um, even if you never read the books, you probably saw at least one of the movies, because it was just like... It was a movie people saw, and a movie, you know, movies people wanted to talk about, um, movies that, that we experienced together. I think some of the last great, 
like midnight releases that I attended were for uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part One and Two. Um, of you know midnight releases of films anyway. Um, I, okay, that's that's not the point of this episode. But what I want to say is that Harry Potter, if you have any connection or recollection of Harry Potter at all, you'll probably remember that a big part of it was the characters growing with the audience. That, you know, it spans like seven years in-universe from the main characters age 11 to 17, and you know, like, at first it's kind of, the stories are fairly childlike, and you know, everything gets tied up nice and tidy at the end, and uh, you can always, like, they can always trust the adults to kind of come through for them. Um, ultimately, like, like, Harry gets a lot of help in the first couple books. Uh, eventually, things start start to, to turn a little bit. They get angstier. There's more, like, friendship and relationship drama. The answers are are not as clear-cut. It's like a good... I mean, you know, they're coming-of-age stories in some sense. The Harry Potter series is, is sort of a building's roman. And this was probably, this is probably, you know, (laughs) definitely not all of why, but this is probably one reason that Harry Potter is no longer the phenomenon it once was. Like, you know, they tried to come out with those uh, Fantastic Beasts movies from the late, late teens to into the early 20s, and the last one or two flopped so hard. Do you question, do you know anybody, do you personally know anyone who has seen The Secrets of Dumbledore? No? Yeah, that's, you know, <laughs> there you go. Um, all the, the extra canonical stuff that J.K. Rowling has tried to introduce into the universe um, that, you know, originally through like Pottermore or whatever. Anyway, this is not a Harry Potter episode, but my, my point in sharing this is that, you know, there, there's for that one generation that is synced up with that, the growth of that series, it is utterly profound, at least until, (laughs) uh, you know, something happens, but you know, I was part of that, that generation. I was maybe a little on the young side. Um, but if you were born in like, I don't know, the late eighties to early nineties, you were like primo, you know, age to enjoy and grow with Harry Potter. And, you know, I, I know there are a lot of Harry Potter adults still, in spite of everything. Um, you know, that's like a, a fandom and an identity that people hold close still. But the whole thing is, like, there are not a lot of young Harry Potter fans. Or like, you know, it's it's at the point where there are 
adult Harry Potter fans, like, giving those books to their own kids. And I do know, like, kids born after 2010, after, you know, the whole series wrapped, basically, who, you know, have gotten into Harry Potter on their own. But it's not the sort of, like, you know, it doesn't span all of society top to bottom. It's not something that everyone is obsessed with in the same way. That has its pros and cons, I think. Like, a fandom being a little tighter, a little bit, you know, more limited to to just the the super fans. Like, I think A Song of Ice and Fire is kind of this way. Where the fans, uh, you know, you have to have a level of dedication. I mean, I guess there's House of the Dragon and more shows upcoming from HBO. But you have to have a level of dedication to still care about this series and, like, you know, a lot of a lot of the people who are active in the fandom now will give it close reads and have a, you know, I think some people have awful takes, but uh, most people are still, who are still active now, in spite of the fact that we may never get a, a further installment to A Song of Ice and Fire, most people are they're like the real ones. They're ride or die. Um, maybe that's where Harry Potter is right now. Anyway, so Harry Potter, uh, and I always like, so this is a, an analogy that will only probably make sense to me, but when I was, I think I talked about this in my improv episode a little bit, but when I was in college, we had an improv club. It was a club and not an auditioned troupe. Like, anybody could join and participate. It was not like, you know, you didn't have to try out, um, and meet a certain standard. We were all like there to kind of like do improv and hang out and put on shows occasionally and, um, you know, learn together. And this is contrasted with, I had a professor, um, in the creative writing department who had also gone to the same school and also had an improv troupe. And I use the word troupe very specifically because he he had like a, a small smaller troupe with a handful of friends. Improv club was kind of sprawling. Um, it was like, you know, a good 30 people or something um, who would come in and out depending on how busy they were. And my professor, when he was at, you know, our school in his student days, had this troupe that was, you know, le- less than 10, I'm guessing. You know, a more normal, like probably around six or something. That's pretty typical for an improv troupe. When they graduated, they took their troop with them. It wasn't something that they were trying to leave behind as an institution for the school, for, you know, future students. It was something that they were trying to take on the road and, like, you know, make something of. Which is their prerogative, and that's, you know, that's totally fine. Um, I don't think it ended up coming quite to fruition, but that's not to say it wasn't worth trying. Um... But I think this is a good analogy between Harry Potter and Pokemon. And here we go. We're getting back to it. 
Um, Pokemon is is trying to be Improv Club. It's trying to, you know, stay the same for, you know, the, the people who are currently, like, learning and growing. For the students, for the kids, you know, whatever. Oh, person in front of me has a Game of Thrones uh, plate frame. So I guess they're kind of ride or die. Maybe for the show, who knows? That's interesting. I've never seen something... I've never seen swag like that out in the wild. Um, anyway, so... Yeah, Pokemon is trying to maintain the same... The same user base, essentially. As it always has. Which is, like... You know, if you're, like, seven years old, that's ideal. That's the perfect age to be playing and, and enjoying Pokemon. You know, seven, eight, nine... At some point, you start aging out a little bit. Um, so then, Harry Potter, by contrast, is my professor's improv troupe, where, you know, it was kind of like beautiful if you were there, if you were part of it. Um, you know, sublime even, because it was kind of just for you. But, you know, then you try to take it with you and you, you meet varying levels of success doing that. Like, you know, maybe it just kind of fades and it becomes part of your past. And, you know, it's not, it doesn't stand as a, as a fandom or as a hobby for, as an interest for future generations. It won't endure except in your memory. And that's kind of a beautiful thing. But that's not what Pokemon is trying to do. Pokemon is trying to stay as relevant as it ever was, but just to an ever-changing demographic. And, you know, when your demographic is seven, eight, nine-year-olds, um, instead of, like, you know, adults, seven, eight, nine-year-olds do not have the same kind of, like, cultural context or, you know, I mean, when you're just, like, eight years old, like, two years, three years between generations, like, you know, if, if you're, like, six or seven when a new Pokemon generation drops, then you'll be, like, nine or ten when the next one comes out. Like, that might skip you completely. Um, maybe you're, you're just at the right age to enjoy two different Pokemon generations, but if the average person kind of rotates out, then, you know, three years is a, is a decent gap between generations. For an adult, three years is like, you know, tapping back to Song of Ice and Fire, I've been waiting like 12 years for Winds of Winter. You know, three years is nothing for a hobby. Um, the, the standard metagame in Magic the Gathering is three years between, from one set's launch to its rotation. That's not a lot of time when you're an adult. When you're a kid, it's a huge amount of time. It's the difference between adolescence and puberty. Um, you know, it's like, like three years is, is like half your life at a certain age. Developmentally, that's tremendous for a child. Um, anyway, so 
I just say that to illustrate that Pokemon is is trying to maintain that same user base forever, it seems. And maybe Pal World will challenge that. Maybe Pal World will show that, you know, it is a runaway success right now, Pal World. So maybe Pokemon will catch the hint and, and start thinking like, okay. Because like in recent generations, the the draw for older players is that, oh yeah, there's IVs and EVs. Um, not the kind that evolve, evolves into Jolteon. There's, a, you know, like genes and effort values and, you know, there's a, a metagame of moves. You don't just want to give Fire Blast to your Charizard because it's epic and cool looking. Like, you know, you, you want to, like, think about, okay, this is going to be a, a physical sweeper. This is going to be a wall. Like, we don't need to give every Pokemon, like, a super effective move. Like, or what? what is this Pokemon a counter to by nature of its typing and its stats and whatever? So, I don't know. Not like you need to play competitively to really delve into that, but to maximize your and optimize your Pokemon, like, you, you know... Those are mechanics that are more available, more accessible to an older audience. And they've been making them more accessible, like making small quality of life improvements in recent gens. Uh, as of eight, you know, you can you can max out, you can change uh, EVs even after the Pokemon's fully leveled. You can max out genes. You just have to have a certain amount of in-game currency to do that, which is difficult to obtain. Um, but you can do it. Anyway, I, I'm going to move on a little bit, but I, I think that's an interesting point. I think by, you know, Gen 3, 2003, Pokemon was still a game for kids, but maybe, maybe it wasn't trying to re remain at this homeostasis of, you know, the, the average, you know, eight-year-old audience. Maybe at this point, Pokemon was kind of thinking like, yeah, we can grow a little bit, we can change, we can do different things. Uh, maybe 11-year-olds want to play this game. 12-year-olds, even. <laughs> you know? Um, that, that accounted for me. Anyway, so, so Gen 3. What did they change from Gen 2? Uh, Gen 2 had introduced day and night, and the idea that, you know, the Pokemon that are available in certain areas might vary depending on the, the time of day. Um... Yeah, it wasn't just day and night. It was, like, morning, afternoon, uh, you know, and, and night, effectively. And, uh, yeah, like, some places, you know, you Clefairy was only available in Mount Moon, like at, you know, like, night on certain days, like Tuesday night or whatever. Uh, there were certain, like, items that could only be obtained on certain days. Like, uh, there were these seven siblings that would show up around Johto who had different items. Like, I remember uh, Frida was the, the sibling for Friday, and you would find her in Blackthorn City 
or something, and she would have, like, a certain item, um, that would, that would buff, like, she had the dark glasses that would buff dark-type attacks as a health item. Um, you know, so, let's see, yeah, Gen, Gen 2 also introduced the daycare center for breeding Pokemon, um, you could, on the one hand, get baby Pokemon, like, uh, you know, the baby versions of, you know, Magmar, Pikachu, Jigglypuff, um, you could also, like, pass certain moves on from a father to the egg, uh, that was just some kind of interesting mechanics and new mechanics. And of course you could duplicate, like you have a, uh, a starter, you know, you could duplicate it a bunch of times and trade those, you know, baby Toto dials to your friends or whatever. Um, so they could fill in their Pokedex and have access to rare Pokemon. Um, anyway, so those were all things that were introduced by Gen 2, and of course it was cumulative, like, okay, the Safari Zone and Mount Moon weren't as, as sprawling or impressive, the Seafoam Islands didn't exist anymore, as in Gen 1, but it, Gen 2 added, like, you know, in addition to Johto, you could also go back to Kanto, it was a giant over, what am I trying to say, it was a giant overworld you could experience. Gen 3, you know, we're not adding a third realm to this, to this world. We're just resetting, starting someplace new. And, uh, Hoenn is very different than the other regions. Even to date, it's based more on, uh, the southern isles of Japan. Um, like, Kanto is just straight up a region in Japan. There's region called Kanto. Uh, Hoenn is in, you know, in mainland Japan. Um, Hoenn is based on the islands. There's a lot of water. They added two new HM moves, Dive and... I don't know, maybe not. I think they took out Whirlpool from Gen 2. Um, Gen 2 only added new HM moves to interact with the map. Like, Gen 1, you got Cut, Strength, Surf, Flash. Gen 2 had all those and also added Whirlpool, and I guess Rock Smash was kind of one of them. It wasn't necessary for completing the game, but it allowed you to uh, break, break rocks that you might find around the map, and like, I remember a shuckle was found under some of those rocks, like on, uh, uh, Cyanwood City, that landmass. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, Hoenn, I believe there was still a daycare center, but there was no longer day and night. Instead of day and night, they had weather. There were certain gimmick Pokemon that kind of interacted with the weather, uh, cast form, uh, 
would change shape based on the weather, or change shape and type to like fire if it was sunny, uh, water if it was raining, uh, ice if it was hailing, and could learn all those weather moves that Gen 2 introduced, sunny day, hail, uh, rain dance. Um, and had a move weather ball that changed type based on what kind of weather was going on at the time. It's not a very good Pokemon, um, but it was kind of an interesting step in a new direction. Weather was really neat, like, and again, it kind of functioned as similar to day and night in Gen 2, where, like, yeah, you go certain places and you can catch different Pokemon when it's raining is when it's, you know, sunny or whatever. That was actually like a big tie-in with the legendary Pokemon of Gen 3, uh, Kyogre and Groudon, who were sought after by a new villainous team, or two actually, Team Aqua and Team Magma. Um, team Magma was trying to exploit Groudon to uh, dry out the seas and uh, you know, regain land from the waters. And I don't really know what the idea was with Team Aqua trying to, like, drown out the landmass. Like, Team Magma was trying to do some, like, yeah, we'll just gain new territory for people to live on. I don't know what Team Aqua was really thinking. Um, but yeah, Kyogre to, you know, they want Kyogre to, like, like, bring the rains to drown out the earth. Maybe they were, like, on some kind of omnicidal kick. I don't know. Um, and that, you know, whether you had Team Aqua or Team Magma varied based on which game you got. Uh, so they kept the theme of villainous teams, although they had replaced... draws a line aspect of Gen 3, where, like, they doubled down on the villainous teams thing, even though it wasn't Team Rocket, like, in Gen 1 and 2. Um, it, you know, the kind the idea was still, like, we need to have some kind of, you know, it can't just be, the, the story can't just be a, a tale of self-improvement and growth, where, like, the player is, you know, battling a rival that takes a, a Pokemon that has a, you know, a starter Pokemon that has a type advantage against theirs. Um, I believe Gen 3 also introduced the idea that, like, hey, not only your rival, you've got, like, you meet the uh, Pokemon champion early. Oh, no, I guess Gen 2 did that with Lance, right? Um, and Gen 1, of course, like, Gary was the, the champion. It wasn't just the rival throughout the game, but he became champion that you ultimately fight and, you know, test your strength against. Um, yeah, okay. So I guess it was a little different. 
Anyway, Gen 3, I think Steven is the, he's a steel type uh, trainer, and you encounter him, he helps you for a long time, and then eventually, you know, the, the student becomes the master, and you have to beat him uh, as Elite Four champion. Or Pokemon League champion, I guess. Um, so, like, there's the rival, there's, you know, the, the champion that you're introduced to early that you eventually have to fight. Those were carry-throughs or callbacks, I, I suppose, to the earlier two generations. Um, a new villainous team, I guess they decide that, yeah, it you have to have, like, an out-and-out -out antagonist. It can't just be, like, people you're kind of friendly with, but you still have to fight. Um, and to date, every Pokemon game since then has had Gen 8 had Team Shout, but they were just like, they were just like the Cure fans, and they were essentially harmless. Is that right? Am I remembering correctly? I don't know. Um, And the champion you meet at the very beginning of the game, and you know he's the champion, and you know you're going to have to fight him eventually. Whereas in Gen 2 and 3, Lance and Steven being the champion, like, I don't know if you know that right away. You kind of get to the last room in the Elite Four, and you're like, what? It's you? I have to fight, you know, my, my buddy Lance, who I've been working with? Uh... Anyway, I think they've definitely simplified. They've taken that formula, they've redone it a million times, and they've simplified it every step of the way. But Gen 3, I guess, was, was drawing some of those second data points from Gen 1 and 2 that created that line. In other regards, it, it kind of rolled things back. Gen 3 also introduced abilities, um, which was really interesting. In some ways, allowed Pokemon to kind of had a, have a third type, uh, like the ability Levitate basically made a Pokemon flying type. It didn't give them the same like vulnerability to ice or electric, but it made them immune to ground, which is you know kind of the big draw of the flying type didn't give them the same type attack bonus for flying type moves, but you know, it kind of it allowed there to be like Flygon is a has wings you know, but it's very much like a dragon and also a ground type Pokemon Flygon's really weird in that because it has Levitate it can use Dig and Gen 2 introduced moves that have different effectiveness based on what the other Pokemon is doing like, or based on weather conditions and stuff like that, like, if it's raining, thunder has 100% accuracy. It will always hit, rather than the 70% accuracy it normally has. Um, if the other Pokemon is using dig, then earthquake will deal double damage. Just makes sense, right? Um, Flygon... If Flygon is using Dig, which it very well might because it's a ground-type Pokemon, you might try using Earthquake 
thinking that you're going to deal double damage. You will deal zero damage because Flygon has Levitate and ground-type attacks don't affect it. You would think that they'd make a little carve-out for Dig, but oh well. Um, what else? So, yeah, Dig, um, Flygon, Levitate, abilities. Uh, Shedinja is is kind of like the byproduct Pokemon when you evolve uh, uh, Ninkata into Ninjask. Uh, it's like a, a cicada, like a ground-dwelling cicada. goes from ground bug, uh, evolves into bug-flying Ninjask, which is one of the fastest Pokemon in the entire game and has speed boost raises its its speed by a stage every turn. Makes it a great baton pass user. Like, you use Ninjask, you protect the first turn to keep it from being hit by any attack to get a speed boost or two, and then you use baton pass to send, to switch to another Pokemon and share its new speed boost with that, that new Pokemon. Um, classic strategy. But you evolve uh, Ninkata into Ninjask, and if you have a spare Pokemon, or a spare Pokeball, and slot in your inventory, you will also have, uh, as a second Pokemon from that evolution, you will also get, uh, Shedinja. Shedinja is a ghost bug Pokemon that has one HP. It cannot gain any more HP beyond that, and it has the ability Wonder Guard that makes it so that it can only be dealt damage by super effective moves. It can be dealt damage by environmental factors, such as spikes uh, left on the battlefield, or uh, if there's a weather effect like hail or sandstorm, that's going to deal, you know, plank shed uh, injure for damage and kill it. Um, but Wonder Guard is really interesting. There are some kind of kind of janky ways you can like send like trade abilities with Pokemon and like send that ability Wonder Guard to a Pokemon that has more than one HP. Um, which can be kind of interesting. Um, Gen 3 also had the first Pokemon that was immune to, like, had no super effective attacks against it. That was Sableye. It was a pretty, pretty runty, weak, uh, ghost dark Pokemon. Poor stats overall. Had no evolutions. It was just a single stage Pokemon. Um, but Sableye being ghost dark type has no weaknesses, which is pretty neat. Um, if you... If you can hack Shedinja's Wonder Guard onto uh, Sableye, it makes it immune to all damage except for the aforementioned like spikes and hail and sandstorm, which is neat. I guess status moves. I don't know if you can like burn or poison a Sableye. That might be the only other way. Leech Seed. Any rate. Um, what else? 
other interesting Pokemon from Gen 3. I... Yeah, abilities enabled uh, Groudon and Kyogre to create weather effects upon entering the battlefield. Uh, I forget what those are called. Those abilities are called. Um, Drought is Groudon's that basically uses Sunny Day when it enters. Like every time Groudon is switched in the weather becomes sunny. It overwrites whatever weather effect there is now. And it's also permanent. It's not like using, like, sunny day only creates a, a sunny weather effect for five turns, whereas Groudon is indefinite. Until the weather changes, it is now sunny for the rest of the game. Um, forget Kyogre's. Uh, but yeah, they, they kind of added these these abilities that added an interesting dimension to Pokemon. Like, you could have a Pokemon with, like, poor stats, you know. Like, this added a new variable to what made Pokemon, an individual Pokemon, interesting. Like, you know, with so many, like, normal flying, like, bird Pokemon coming out, what distinguishes one from the next? I mean, I guess it's kind of the early route like, Pokemon you catch, but, like, uh, say water type, um, this was still before the physical special split, so, like, all water types, um, pure water types probably can't use a good attack stat very effectively, but it depends on move pool, like, maybe one of them has, like, you know, gets body slam or something like that, which is a pretty solid normal type attack move, um, has a, a decent chance of uh, paralyzing the affected Pokemon. Um, so, you know, you got stats, typing, move pool. All of these can kind of set Pokemon of the same type uh, or similar stats apart from one another. You add in ability to the mix. Abilities can now, like, really change how uh, a Pokemon is useful and really create interesting new designs like Shedinja. That would not be possible to have a 1 HP Pokemon without Wonder Guard. Like, what would be the point? Um, moving along, you've also got Pokemon that have... Um, Like, suddenly, uh, tag team battling is a thing, or I guess 2v2, uh, you know, you'll encounter, like, two trainers who each send out a Pokemon in battle, you send out your top two slots, um, there are certain moves that now become more useful because they hit all Pokemon in a battle instead of just targeted at one, um, some moves that were already good just become better, like Surf. Surf was already great. It was the 100% the accuracy, you know, full accuracy water type attack. Highest power, highest accuracy for your, you know, for your buck. Um, it was already great. It, it now hits both opposing Pokemon, so it just gets better. Um, let's see... 
uh, but certain other moves that were maybe not as good before, like get a little leg up in double battles. Um, priority is all set by speed, same as normal, but uh, you know, you've got two on two. It's just an interesting new dynamic. Gen 3 also added contests, um, which were not not incredible in their first iteration, but uh, it was like another way for under-evolved Pokemon to be relevant or uh, different moves to be relevant because uh, what a contest was, you like put your Pokemon, you release your Pokemon in front of like a number of judges and uh, you use a move, and the judges, and the, the move types, instead of their normal types, are, I believe you got cute, cool, beautiful, and, like, I don't know, wow, or something like that. I believe there were four blanking on the last one, but, um, yeah, so your Pokemon, you know, you, you, this kind of created a use for some of those early game attacks that, part of the use for, like, Tail Whip, you know, sure, you can use it in the early game to lower the opponent's, uh, opponent Pokemon's defense, that's not something you want to keep later in the game. Generally, moves that, that change the, uh, opposing Pokemon stats are not as good. You want to use stats, uh, moves that buff your stats accordingly. Like, why lower their defense when you can raise your attack? I believe the number crunch works out that you do about the same damage um, either way. But you're hoping to keep your Pokemon in play. If you knock theirs out, then you've lost all the debuffs that you, you put on their Pokemon. Um, anyway, so... Uh, and also just changing or, you know, a stat by one stage is not as good. So, uh, you know, basically what contest, contest did was allowed for these moves to be relevant in some context other than battling. Like, Tail Whip is suddenly like a, a cute move that can really get, you know, garner points with the judges. Um, an unevolved Pokemon that you naturally want to evolve, or even the Pokemon that might be evolved, but might not have the same utility as, you know, like, say you got that, that pure water type that, uh, whose move pool or, you know, typing, ability, anything like that doesn't really set it apart, and it's, like, kind of the inferior version of something else. Um, now it could be a real star in contests. So, just kind of an interesting new aspect to the game. I don't think they executed super well on it, and it definitely wasn't as compelling as battling normally, but it's something. Um, anyway, so I'm now pulling into my parking space. Um, a parking space, not my own. Don't have my name on it. But uh, I am here at work, and I would like to wrap it up there. I talked a lot about Harry Potter this time, but just kind of generally about how, you know, a fandom can grow and change and age 
with its population, its like target demographic or audience, or you know, eventually uh, leave them behind and, and keep going back to that same well. I also did talk a little bit about Pokemon Gen 3, and it was a fun one. It's definitely interesting. It was controversial in some regards because they left behind some of the old, uh, the old stuff in favor of new, but they took some big swings. And I think looking back, a lot of other Pokemon Gens did not do that. So I appreciate it for that. Um, anyway, I'm going to call it there. Thank you, as always, to Scott Suter for the intro and outro themes. Uh, find him on Instagram at Copenhagen Cool Ranch, SoundCloud at Scott Suter. Uh, find us online at LetMeExplainYouAThing.com. Submit topics to me there. Say hi. Uh, yeah, that's, that's it for now. Uh, take it easy, guys. Hope you have a great day. And if you're listening to this to fall asleep, have a great night. Bye-bye.